Well, we're excited to have uh, Orville Hade here. We've prayed for the Hades so often, and they have been through such an adventure. I'm looking forward to hearing about uh, some of the things that they've been through as they've served in Mozambique. Let me just tell you a little bit about them. Orville and Cheryl, and Cheryl's not able to be here this morning, so you can pray for her. She's not feeling too well. But uh, they met while they were attending a BIC youth group at Five Forks. So they're about as big as you get. And um, they uh, went, uh, Cheryl is a registered nurse, and uh, the two of them have served in Mozambique since 2015. Uh, right now, Orville has served to uh, develop strong leadership, training men and pastors, and uh, Cheryl has been focusing on ministering to women and children and building family relationships and providing health care education as well. Uh, they're currently members of Chambersburg Brethren in Christ, which is now called Mission Hill. And um, we welcome you. Come on up. We'd love to hear from you. Testing. Oh, that works. Cool. Yeah, so I am Orville Hayde, and my wife, Cheryl, is not here. And you just heard how we met in uh, the Five Forks Youth Group. That's been just a couple years ago. <coughs> what? What? The gray hair. That's just like, you know, it's early. Um, the icing on the cake, though, that you might not know is that we are married here. Ah, surprise. Yeah. So that made it even extra special, right? Wow, 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 cool. Okay. Um, I'd like to read uh, uh, just uh, two verses with you from First uh, John 4, reading out of the NIV, verses 10 and 11. Then we'll pray and then uh, begin into a presentation also. This is love. You know, you ever wonder what is love? You know, and there's a lot of people who can tell us what love is and Sometimes a lot of what we see on our TVs and things isn't necessarily completely accurate, to say the least. But here, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Love. He loved us before we loved him. Dear friends, since God so loved us, loving us before we loved him, we also ought to love one another. Let us pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we give you thanks for the opportunity we have to share uh, about what the work that uh, is going on in Mozambique uh, and how you are moving among the people. We pray, Lord, for your blessing upon our time, that your spirit may guide us and lead us into all things that you would have us to do and say, that our lives may honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes, yeah, so um, I have a PowerPoint presentation here and a clicker, I think. It's simple enough I can operate it. And um, uh, the emphasis on the presentation this morning is a bit on the people and some of the challenges and the opportunities that are in Mozambique. So uh, we won't... Uh, you won't be hearing uh, some of the stories about some of the adventures that we've had. 
we would love to share those, but we would really like you to know more about the, the people of Mozambique, some of the challenges and opportunities and needs that exist there. So that'll be the, the focus. Um, it's possible that some of the things you hear may be a little hard to hear. Um, some of the people have said to me after presentations, this is a real, what you're telling us is real. And that's what we're hoping, that what we're telling you is real and it connects to you in a way that is meaningful. So we'll be going through a PowerPoint presentation and talking at the end a little bit about you know, how God calls us and looks for us to move into missions and what that might be for us. So first of all, this is a picture from the back door of our house. You know it's not Waynesboro, right? So we kind of like this big mountain. It's kind of pretty cool. But first, we want to remember to just thank you for inviting us to come and share. And it's a blessing and a joy when we have an opportunity to share about Mozambique and what is happening there and, and so on. Mozambique is in the African continent, located near the southern portion of that continent. So it's really right next to South Africa, just there up on the right a little bit. Well, how big is Mozambique? I don't know miles and square miles and things, but I overlaid it on a map of the U.S., and you can see it reaches from the Canadian border at Vermont, New Hampshire, down to almost the middle of Florida, and then it stretches out into, I think it touches into Illinois even. So that's kind of the size of Mozambique. Uh, one of the opportunities but challenges in Mozambique is language. The official language is Portuguese, but I'm guessing when you're in the rural areas where most of our people are, 95% of them don't know Portuguese. So then you have over 20 language groups spread throughout the country. So if you travel two hours one way, that'll be a different language group. Now two hours from here gets us to where Baltimore? Be like, that's another language over there. You travel two hours the other way, you'll have another language. I mean, you know, it's kind of interesting, challenging, at all at the same time. But let's touch on our Brethren in Christ uh, members there in Mozambique. The vast majority of the church groups, there's 165 church groups, give or take, in Mozambique, spread throughout the country, probably 99% are in rural areas. And the main way that they live in those rural areas is through farming. But this is their farming. There is no mechanized equipment, tractors, and otherwise they don't have horses or oxen or anything. So when the soil needs to be tilled for planting, they go out day after day after day for about a month tilling their land with a hoe in order to plant and grow, grow food. Now I have a word there that's in the title of this slide that says subsistence. Here's what subsistence is. We probably kind of have an idea, but I, I just want to tell you what we've seen firsthand. Subsistence is you eat and live and survive on what you grow. If you don't have enough food that grown, you don't eat as much or very little or next to nothing. But that is part of the challenge. We've been in Mozambique for six years, and in those six years, we've seen one good year of harvest. That means there's been five difficult years. Well, what happens when there's not enough food? I mean, typically, the most common thing is they, go, they only eat one meal a day, 
or less. They might not eat a meal every day because there isn't food, isn't enough resources available. Quick shot of a typical church structure. Um, this is what they usually build when they begin coming together as a group. And it's made out of grass and some tree limbs and things like that. But I'm not wanting to really impress you with the, the structure itself, that of course it looks very different. What I want you to see is what's inside. Cheryl and I have had the opportunity over these few years to visit different parts of the country with every language group that the church has, which is about eight language groups are in the church. And this is what we see when we go in every church service. What do we see? Lots of children, lots of youth, just like this photo in each one of them. And you're, you're going to be uh, hearing a few things that are significant about this. Key opportunities and challenges within the church in Mozambique, Brethren in Christ Church in Mozambique, they're averaging 8 to 10 new church groups per year. So in the six years we've been there, it's somewhere between, you know, what is six times, everybody do the math, you know, 20, yeah, yeah, that's how many they're adding on average. And even COVID did not stop that. It did slow down a bit. Maybe there was only five, but it continues. But the, so there's great opportunity of people seeking after God, seeking to know Jesus great opportunity, and this is demonstrated partly by these groups that are forming. But along with that, we also have some big challenges. Now, the words say very low level of biblical training and knowledge. Let's, make, let's simplify this. What does that mean? Now, we'll do a little pop quiz on you, okay? A little surprise. How many of y'all, now raise your arms if, you're, if, you're, if you can, be honest now, but how many have ever heard of Adam and Eve? Anyone? Anyone here ever hear of Adam and Eve? Let's see. That's almost, it might be 100%. Okay, don't need a sermon on that one, I guess. Um, how many commandments were given? You know, when Moses, you know, had the commandments from God and brought it head on this stone tablet thing, how, was it 15? Was it 16? A few of you say 10. What do you think? Was it 10? Does that sound about right? Yeah. The people who are assigned as pastors with these church groups don't know what you've just said you know. Very low level of biblical training and knowledge. And it's just not the lack of knowledge, it's lack of salvific knowledge. If people say, yeah, Jesus... Does that mean they have salvation and eternal life? Trick question? No. Not necessarily. Jesus is mentioned in the Quran. Who is Jesus? If people do not know about sin, what's Jesus to them if there is no sin? There's big challenges. Bassani and Patricio, two of the key leaders that I've worked with for these years, we were talking somewhat recently, and they said to me, we believe, and I concur based on what I had seen, that around 30 to 40 percent 
of the assigned pastors in these church groups do not themselves know Jesus. Isn't that hard to hear? I mean, there's all kinds of questions that come behind that. The second item there is no one teaches Bible stories to children. Anybody, what do you think? Why wouldn't church-going people teach their children Bible stories? Hmm? They don't know them. The pastors, the deacons, church leaders, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, they don't know the Bible. They don't know the Bible stories. You remember the photo of the children in the, in the church? They come Sunday after Sunday, and there's no one there who can tell them about Jesus, who can tell them the stories that many of us probably grew up with as children if we, if we attended Sunday school, maybe heard it later. One of the first things we did was we organized Bible training for pastors um, because we realized early on that many pastors did not have a clear understanding of salvation. Many pastors may not know Jesus at all other than a word. So we began doing chronological Bible study training, which covered about 40 lessons. And during this training, we were trying to teach and establish two understandings coming out of that. First was, what is sin? Different cultures will have different definitions. We struggle with that sometimes here in the States. What is sin? In the Chichewa culture, which we, the predominant, the large number of churches there are Chichewa speaking, sin is when you disobey your parents. But that's not quite what the Bible was explaining what sin is. And if you don't know about Adam and Eve and, and the sin that began in, in, in the fall and the rest of the Scripture in the Old Testament especially to establish what is sin, then who is Jesus to you? Where, where, what is your salvation based on? For what kind of thing? So we, we began this. So the two things we were trying to establish with these pastors was an understanding from Scripture of what is sin and then what is salvation in Jesus for themselves and that they might teach others. Over these years, of course, we had two years like you all had here too, interrupted significantly with COVID and really messed up a lot of things everywhere around the world. But so far, I think we were able to provide this training to around 60 or 90 pastors. There's 150. After six years, we've been there. There's 150 who hadn't had anything yet. Z basically zero, because we don't have enough people there to do, that, to do this. This is a significant issue. During one of the early uh, teachings, um, we, I have this example here, and it's going to talk about an easy question and a hard question. And I share this most everywhere we go, because in these two questions, it demonstrates two very, very significant things to know and understand about Mozambique and the people. First question they asked me was, now we're telling them about Jesus, and he was in Israel, and we rolled out a map, you know, the world map, and it's colored with each country has its own color and all that. 
so they could see, you know. And many times we've asked people, well, where do you think Jesus came from? Where do you think they say a lot of the time, almost all the time? America. From America. Okay? So anyway, so we're showing that, hey, you know, it's right up here, actually closer to Mozambique than it is to the United States. So the one guy raises his hand. He had a question. He said, okay, what? And he said, <clears throat> so which country on the map is the blue color? Because that's the biggest country by far. And I don't, what, who is that? Does any, anybody here know the, the name of the country that's the blue color on the map? Come on. Somebody knows. Don't be shy. Huh? What's blue? Water. And water is the ocean on the map, right? Lack of education. Across the board for people in the country. Lack of education. They're intelligent people without education, many of them, most of them. 90, 95% are not able to read. Lack of education. But that was the easy question, and I felt good. It's nice, you know, when you're teaching a class and trying to help people, and when you have a question, it's nice to have an answer, if, you know, to at least be able to support them that way. So I was feeling pretty good about that. Shouldn't have been, probably, but I thought, okay, listen, all right. So then I got the next question. It was the hard question, and this question was different. Another pastor said, because <clears throat> we're looking at when Jesus was in Israel 2,000-plus years ago and, and about his life there and things like that, and he said to me this question for us, actually. Why has it taken 2,000 years for this teaching about Jesus to come to me, to come to us? They never heard it before, ever. Why has it taken 2,000 years for the news of Jesus to come to us? And I was stumped. I was trying to you know, spin wheels here and, and like nothing good was coming out. I never answered the question because I didn't have a, I think, a respectable enough answer to give them. And I've realized I've never forgotten that question. It's probably five years ago. And I think the question is not begging an answer. That question is begging a response. Because if I had the answer and told them the answer, that probably may not have helped a whole lot. What they're saying is, please tell us about Jesus. Don't make us wait another 2,000 years. But that's the context of Mozambique in the rural areas where most of the people live. Easy question, hard question. Cheryl was involved in numerous things. One of the things that uh, was really, really awesome in serving is that we have a great amount of flexibility in how we serve people, minister with them. Um, with Brother in Christ World Missions, there's all kinds of ways to serve that fits part of who you are and part of, you know, who you're called to be, how you're called to serve. Cheryl did different things. She worked with women's groups with some Bible teaching. She also did a little bit of small business things with them, trying to help them come up with ideas to have a little money to live during the hard times, a little bit of basic first aid training stuff. 
She invested a lot of time and teaching and energy into these four women, helping to raise them up and empower them to be godly women in the church to serve the people. One of the, one of the big challenges is the people that are there in these 165 church groups, there is maybe almost no one they look, can look up to and say, that's a godly person. I can see better how to follow Jesus because the examples don't exist. But she invested heavily in that. She also initiated some literacy training for women who could read. In Mozambique and not other countries in the world, but in Mozambique, women usually don't get sent to school if there's a choice to be made. Many families choose between food and their child going to school. And if they have several children, they first cut off the girls from going to school, and then the boys, if they don't have enough to be able to survive. During COVID, uh, we had, prior to COVID, we had a schedule of Bible training of different kinds with pastors and church leaders, a full schedule each year planned. But then when COVID hit, all of this in-person training came to a screeching halt, and we were left with, well, what now might we do? And God showed us two things to, to pursue and to, 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 to do. Well, the first was teaching Bible lessons by telephone. We realized that not everyone has phones there, but they have these cheap phones from China. And we could actually, we organized a plan, worked with this group of leaders here, three men and three women, church leaders, where each week they could begin calling leaders and teaching them a very short Bible lesson once a week. It was nothing or a short Bible lesson by telephone. That's what it was down to. And this is really encouraging. It's even continuing uh, even as to today after COVID because it's such a blessing and it's providing God's word to people who otherwise might not hear it for many, many years. And this is just an example of, of how they sit at their homes making their calls to, to, the, to their assigned people. The second thing that, that was shown to us was let, brought out by, some of you may have heard of the name Bassani over the years, perhaps. This is Bassani and his wife, Carlota. And Bassani and Patricio, uh, together they said, hey, how about if we start uh, sharing the gospel by radio? I thought, well, that sounds interesting. I mean, that's still working. COVID didn't stop radio yet. So they began organizing some things. I helped them a lot with some of the administration side to, to, to get organized, worked with them in conjunction with the Gospel Tide. And today, this is an ongoing separate ministry with radio Bible broadcasting in Mozambique. And here's just a photo of people sitting around the radio um, listening to this once-a-week Bible teaching. It is only coming out through one small radio station. It probably reaches, you know, eight to ten of the church groups out of the 165 at this time anyway. And then we also wanted to share with you about Cabotegardo. Cabotegardo is a province in the northern part of Mozambique. It's like a state we call our 
or places, states, and there they call them provinces. In any event, Capitol Garden, and Capitol Garden has been in the news. You may have seen it in headlines here sometimes. War, cyclone, issues, yeah. We, there are, I think, 12 to 15 church groups, BIC church groups, in the Cabo Gardo area. And they are suffering a lot. Not, they have had ongoing war there. They have had cyclones. They have bad harvests. One year they get too much rain. Well, you know, you, you guys been, know the farming a bit here, right? Too much rain, what happens? Not good, right? Not enough rain isn't good either. If you get too far on either end of the spectrum, you don't end up with a good result. And these things have been happening in this area back to back, year after year. <clears throat> this lady and her husband and children were actually fleeing from the war zone of a, in a battle to escape, to find peace, and her husband was shot and killed while they were fleeing. She instantly became a widow with five or six children. Very, very difficult place to be in Mozambique, to be a widow with that many children. But she found refuge among a Brethren in Christ church group who chose to share the little bit of food that they had with her and her children to be able to help. They themselves are struggling to survive. And yet, out of obedience to God's demonstration of love, they could love her and her children. But let's talk a little further about this hardship about food. And I learned this because we were there and in talking with the people and seeing people. You know, it comes down to what do you do when you don't have food? Now, their primary food is corn, and they store it in their houses. That's how it works. When a cyclone comes, it destroys houses, rains on the food, and it's all destroyed. Then you have what you were saving up for the year is gone. What do you do? What do you eat? There's no money and no food because you store up your own. It's been destroyed. There's two things that they eat primarily. Because I asked them, I talked to them, I said, what do you like to They eat snails and grass. Snails and grass every day to survive, if they can survive. Anybody ever have escargot? Yeah, it's a fancy word for something I don't want a second time, but so other than that, maybe some of you all like it, that's okay, but yeah, that's, that's, what, that's, what, that's the reality, snails and grass. Not for a day, not even for a week, weeks, because until you plant again and it grows and produces a crop, it's usually two to three months, depending what you plant. It's a real, real, real hardship Early um, in 2021, we began getting reports from um, the church superintendent in Cabot Gardo of church people who were dying of starvation every week, sometimes two times a week. Such and such a person died of starvation. Such and such died of starvation. We asked for assistance from the Brother in Christ missions from the uh, Compassion Fund to help intervene in this situation. And it's a mess there because they, it's bad enough to be in a situation where there's not enough food 
and there's starvation and hunger occurring. But on top of that, the UN or whoever, they had these ships of food sitting off the coast of Mozambique, shiploads of food parked. And the Mozambique government would not allow them to unload it. This is what happens. This is, this is how it really works in some of these countries. Why? Because the government people wanted control of the grain so they could sell it and put the money in their pocket. And the donors no longer send the food straight to the government. They said, no, we're not sending you the food. Government said, fine, let the people die. That's the real world in Mozambique. So in the midst of this, and hearing these reports week after week of Brethren in Christ people dying of starvation, we asked for help from World Missions with uh, the Compassion Fund. And we put together a budget to feed over 700 families in the church communities, not just people who were, quote, members of the church, but people that were in, lived in common with one another in the areas, over 700 families. And here you can see people receiving sacks of grain, uh, five gallon of oil, cooking oil, and, and so on and so forth. Over $70,000, I believe, it was, was provided for this food assistance. And someone said to me, I didn't think about it a little bit further, uh, how he was thinking, he said, well, man, it's great that we were able to take care of that and help those people. And I had to, he caught me off guard, and I had to say, yes, it is very, very good that we were able to do that. But it gave them food for one month. What did they do at the end of that month? They had no choice but to eat grass and snails again. But I can promise you, and I heard from the people how thankful they were that they had a month's grace of love and support to at least have stable food for a month. That made a huge difference. So we have all this stuff going on, um, war, cyclone, cholera, malaria, HIV, AIDS, et cetera, et cetera, there in Cabo de Gardo. And Brother Seibel was visiting our area, and I asked him, because now we had COVID hitting, you know, when it came, and I'm thinking, oh, you know, just, you know, one more thing for their area. Wow, you know what? So I said to him, I, said, I asked him, I said, how is COVID affecting your area? And at first I was surprised what he said. He said, COVID is no problem for us. And I immediately thought, well, it must be that COVID isn't affecting them. You know, it's this mysterious illness going around, and some people have problems with it, and some people don't, and whatever, whatever. But then he continued talking, and he said, we already die from cyclones. We already die from the war. You know, in the war, what happens? You go out to farm your land, the guerrillas or the government soldiers shoot you, either one. Kind of makes it hard to grow food. We have cholera. We die from malaria. His final statement was, COVID's not a problem. It's just one more thing that can kill us. It's not a problem. Do you hear that? It's, it, it's not a problem. It's just one more thing that can kill us. This is what our brothers and sisters in Cabo de Gordo wake up to every day. And they don't even think about it. We may die. 
just one more thing. Might be a malaria, might be starvation, might be this, might be that, might be a COVID. It's not a problem. But let's return to these children and this issue of teaching. Coming back to the, this, this thing about Sunday to Sunday, no one to teach them about Jesus. And I'm not saying it's only the children. It's everyone because the pastors don't have training. The leaders don't have any Bible training or background. No one. What did Peter say to Jesus? Now, he said more than one thing. But at one point, Jesus responded to Jesus and said, you have the words of eternal life. And here we have the written words of eternal life. Amen? We have the words of eternal life. But how can they hear? They come Sunday after Sunday, and there's no one to tell them. Romans 10, 13 to 15 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Good news. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? You remember the guy saying 2,000 years, first time we've ever heard about Jesus. And how can they hear without someone preaching? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Call to missions. There are people in Mozambique, brothers and sisters, seeking to know God, turning away from witchcraft and all kinds of other things, seeking truth, but they're not being given the truth and the gospel. How can they believe if they never hear? What has been a burden on my heart for the six years we've been there, and unfortunately, Cheryl and I will not be continuing in Mozambique. God seems to be leading us in another direction, which doesn't fit where our hearts are at exactly, but we're willing to see where God has for us to go. But here's my question. Can we give them the opportunity to hear about Jesus just one time that they might have the choice of salvation? Just once. There are masses of people, not only in Mozambique, but around the world, who've never heard about Jesus once. And these people, and many other countries, not all, people want to hear. Why are they wanting to hear? When you see the challenges in their life and the religions that they have, witchcraft, satanic worship, animism, it's all empty stuff. It doesn't meet their needs in their heart, and they're seeking after God. You've seen this map probably. It's up on the wall on one of the bulletin boards, I noticed. That's pretty cool. These are just parts of the world where we are touching as, as a group to try to reach people for Jesus. And the needs vary. They're not all the same. But I will say in Mozambique and in Malawi, from what I've uh, seen, the need is very common between those two countries. Where is God calling us? God doesn't call, you know, everyone to go to Mozambique. If everybody went to Mozambique, there'd be nobody here, right? 
But God calls a few. Everyone here has more biblical knowledge and understanding than 99% of the pastors in Mozambique. And that's true in every BIC congregation, I believe. There's an opportunity. There's a need. Whom does God call? You know, before I stepped into missions full-time, Sharon and I did, you know, I didn't feel qualified. And, you know, I'm not qualified. I'm still not qualified. What's qualified to, to respond to God's call is to say yes to the path he wants you to follow. Maybe it's staying here in the States. Maybe it's going here, going there. I don't know. Gideon, what did he say? He said, no, no, I, not me, please. I, my family, you know, we're the least of the, you know, we're low-ranked family, and I'm the least of my family. That puts me even lower. What about Moses? Great Moses, what did he say? I, I can't talk. I can't talk well. Not me. Guess what? You're already qualified. If God calls you, you're qualified because our reliance isn't on what we have but, what, but who God is. The Brother Christ missions, there's different ways to be involved, and probably you know, you know most of these or all of them very, very well. Of course, prayer is on, that, on the top of this chart here. And it's, their prayer support is a great blessing. You may not always get good feedback or it's clear, but on the mission field, when you're running into being taken at gunpoint and put in jail, yeah, that happened. That's another story for another day. When you have other problems that happen, prayer support is important. And sometimes your prayers are being answered before problems happen or during, in the midst of it, and you may not know the problem. God's a big God. He can work. He's pretty flexible, you know. Discern your calling. The BIC has a MDP, Missionary Development Program, where you can step into some processes, some training and some courses to help you begin to discern, where is God calling me? It doesn't mean you're being called to Mozambique, but it might. I'm not saying it isn't either. I don't know. The important thing for us is to follow his call to where it may lead. Another way to help understand missions and engagement in missions is a short-term trip. It doesn't mean that if you go on a short-term trip, you're going to automatically be sent back to be there full-time. It just means it's another step, another way to be engaged. Life-changing, that doesn't mean that you're called to that country. But for Cheryl and I, short-term mission trips really helped us understand our call to deploy full-time. But that doesn't mean you would be. It depends on how God is calling. And that is the end of the presentation. I don't know if there's time for any questions or not, or if we want to have some later. I'm not, I, might, I lost track of our timing, so I'm not sure if we're... If anyone would have a question about, about anything, I'll do my best to answer it. If it's a hard question, I might not be able to, you know. Yes, sir. get blocked. Yeah. He's interesting good question. How do how do how were we able to get food in for distribution that the government is blocking? We don't work through the government. Because we're already there, we're able to receive funds, buy food in the market. There is food in the market, nobody has money. You know, it's like the 
price of beef, if it went to $40 a pound, how much beef would we be buying? Probably a little less than we might otherwise, huh? But by, so the funds come in country to us, we're able to organize the purchase of the food and the distribution of it. So we're under the radar a bit. And we're not, the amount that we're distributing is not massive in terms of what um, the UN might distribute. Any other question? Yep, in the back there's one. I have one question. Uh, how, how, do you, how do you deal with like translations and such? Um, there's different ways. Uh, you always need a translator sooner or later because there's so many different languages. So you need a translator. However, um, there aren't many translators from English to the local languages because the official language is Portuguese. So I've spent my time learning Portuguese so that I can speak in Portuguese and it's easy to find translators, comparatively easy, who can go from Portuguese then to a, the, local, the local language. And it's very common uh, between the people groups. They need translators because they don't know all the languages either. Anything else? Looks like we're good to go. Thank you for your time. Um, I encourage your support to the um, Global Compassion Fund. Mozambique received, as I mentioned, about 70,000 recently, and prior to that, in a prior year of crisis, they received another 35 or 40,000. So Mozambique has been blessed by support here, meeting people at their point of desperation of life and death for many people. So if we can help to uh, replenish that fund for others who have similar needs, that would be, be wonderful. Again, thank you so much for your time, and God bless you all. Thank you for sharing with us this morning. Let me just pray for you. Lord, I thank you for Orville and for Cheryl and for their, uh, their willingness to serve in this situation, a difficult mission station, but Lord God, you have been doing great work through them, and they have found various ways to get the gospel out, even during COVID crisis, during all these different things that have arisen. Lord God, I pray that you will give them discernment as to their next, uh, next location where you're calling them, and we pray that you'll call new people to the country of Mozambique. Mm. And uh, Lord, we also pray for the provision of money for food, and we pray for the care of the people. We ask your blessing and uh, your leadership in these areas. In Jesus' name, amen.